0: God could have chosen anywhere on earth, but he chose Israel. He could have revealed his redemption anywhere. He chose Jerusalem. The house of the Lord might have been any
1: place on earth. He chose Mount Moriah. Past, present, and future,
0: the mountain of the Lord has been a beacon of hope and remains a strategic site for the next temple of God. Dateline Jerusalem. The coming Temple.
2: We are so glad you've joined us today, and this is a special program for me and Kirsten because we love to lead worship. Maybe like it was back in the day. I don't know. It's very interesting back in the day with the Mishkan, the Tabernacle, and the Temple.
0: The Tabernacle of David you probably heard, he started with all the musical instruments and the, and the, the accoutrements of a Temple in which they praised and worshipped God. But it's very important to remember that every single article and practice of a Temple always pointed to a future Savior, Yeshua, that would come.
1: That's right. And yeah. it was everything intentional. Like he said, nothing was done by happenstance. Mm-hmm. Everything was created by the Father to point it to Him. Mm
3: can I also say what's very intentional is the fact that we have the two of you here. Some people, yeah. some of you might be uh, had take a break from our Jewish roots, how dare you. But we have wonderful new teachers on set. Joshua and Caleb, you are both here. And throughout the series, Dr. Seif is teaching in Israel. We're thrilled to have you. We're thrilled to have Doc- Dr. Seif also.
2: Let's go to Jerusalem right now.
4: There's a whole lot of history behind me, a whole lot. Now, in the distance, if you really look close, you'll see a golden roof. Well, that mosque was built in 691 A.D. by Marwan. That's a new kid on the block. And by the way, the block that that house is on is the temple site, but that's that's the new kid. You're saying, Jeffrey, 691 A.D. doesn't sound very new to me. That's right, because you're not looking at a span of history. You're just looking at your own history. I mention that because when you open up the Bible, you go back thousands of years, and there's a story associated with the securing of that real estate on the Temple mount. You might recall in the days, uh, if you're a reader of Samuel, how David uh, beckoned individuals to find a way up to take on the Jebusi, the Jebusites, and they had good success. The mountain was secured. Bible readers learned about David's enthusiasm for taking the city and then for building a house. However, uh, His uh, son Shlomo, or Solomon, was the one tasked with that. So much of the Bible deals with securing real estate and building a house. Now, evangelicals, in so many ways, because we're more tethered to language like our personal relationship with Jesus, Um, You know, house and space and sticks and bricks doesn't matter. But uh, we shouldn't assume that so much when we're reading the Bible, because it really did. There's some 50 chapters in the Bible that talk about the sanctuary and the centrality of it. It's woven throughout the tapestry of the literature. People today say, well, you know, it doesn't matter. Uh, I liken it to, and I explain the significance of it, using the illustration of a turtle. Uh, When people speak of a turtle, uh, individuals usually think of the shell, but rather the shell is the house. The turtle is the living organism inside of it. Uh, When you look at religious space, sticks and bricks, it's a house, but there's something alive in it. Uh, Certainly in the case of God's house, his presence was there. And talk about life, that's life everlasting. Here, looking at the dedication of the first one, I'm looking at the book, Malkim, or Kings what we call First Kings, and I'm interested in chapter 8, uh, the last part of verse 13, where he says in Hebrew, morkon, l'shiftache olamim. This is gonna be a house that, to use the Hebrew, is a place for your dwelling, for God's dwelling, forevermore. <laughs> you know, when we come into temple talk uh, in the Hebrew Bible, we keep bouncing into this word olam, you know, forever, forever. And with the inauguration of this physical plant, when I say this one, there was a precursor to it, the Mishkan, this portable worship center in the wilderness. And by the way, as they were moving around the wilderness, uh, the Mishkan was was set up, the the, uh, the, the tabernacle was set up, and the tribes knew where they were gonna camp by virtue of their placement, their compass points associated with the tabernacle. It was central physically, geographically for them. Um, Not only that, then, you know, the tabernacle moves into Canaan and falls into disuse with backsliding, but David is enthusiastic for the Lord, and his son Solomon follows suit, at least initially, to build the house, which eventually is felled because of sin and circumstance. You know, while God does uh, dwell in the sanctuary, should the people there turn away, then God's gonna move out of the house. In fact, we see that. We see that in early Genesis. There's the story of the Lord sent Adam and Cheva out. Uh, If you look at Ezekiel, is the picture there of God on his throne, his markabah, the throne. And it's explicit in Ezekiel that he gets up and leaves. He, He heads out of Dodge just because of the sinfulness. But then Ezekiel predicts that he's gonna return one day. Could it be, friends, that we are living in the day of a mass return? of one that comports with Ezekiel's sensibilities. And when we look at the return that is spelled out in Ezekiel, I think it's important to look at the house that's noted in Ezekiel. There's chapter after chapter after chapter. Oh well, friends, we're living at a point today where there's an interest in rebuilding that house. And this is a story we're pursuing in this series, among other things, as we look at Dateline Jerusalem.
0: To find out more about the history of the temple, we journey to Timnah in southern Israel. Here in the desert-like terrain, a full-size replica of the tabernacle, the Mishkan, has been built, foreshadowing in many ways what would come later in the temple. To know the patterns given to Moses in the tabernacle is to better understand the patterns and purpose of the temple. On future programs in this series, we'll be given a tour inside the tabernacle. But right now, we'll hear from Ariel Sims, a follower of Yeshua, who will guide us through a short history of this tent of meeting,
5: and explain its importance as a place of atonement. So it traveled through the desert for 40 years, we know that, but even after those 40 years, it arrived at a place called Shiloh, just north of Jerusalem. It sat there in Shiloh for about 370 years, until King David moved it to Jerusalem, sat in Jerusalem another 70 years until King Solomon built the first temple. So about 480 years total. And the book of Numbers describes all the uh, groups and families that the Levites were divided into, and it says exactly how many men from each of these groups helped carry the tabernacle. If you punch the numbers in the calculator, it adds to a pretty precise number of 8,580 men, who for 40 years had to repeatedly take it apart, rebuild again and again, until they arrived at Shiloh. The priests were ordained by God to offer up all these uh, different sacrifices. The high priest, being chosen by God Aaron, the brother of Moses, and his sons were the regular priests. So the high priest, he had the most important role of offering the atonement sacrifice on Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, and then the regular priests who did all of the other sacrifices throughout the year. So you got three sections of the compound of the tabernacle. First section is where we are out here. This is called the courtyard in which only the tribe of Levi were allowed to enter. So not even the regular Israelites could come in. They could only bring their animal up to the uh, front gate. Then the tent itself was divided into two more sections, the holy in which only the priests could go in, and then the holy of holies in which only the high priest could go in on the Day of Atonement on Yom Kippur. The Israelites would bring their animal, their sacrifice, up to the gate, and the priest would would take the animal, slaughter it, uh, sacrifice it. The altar uh, was made of acacia wood, covered in gold. You can see all around here. Um, a whole bunch of acacia trees that that grow out out here in this environment. It's it's the crooked and and thorny trees. So it was made of acacia wood, in Hebrew it's called shita, or shitim for plural. But it was covered in, in copper. It was overlaid with copper. And they would carry it, I mean, not just the altar, but the entire tabernacle had to be carried through the desert. And inside the altar was the eternal fire that God started when they first built the tabernacle, but it was up to the Levites to make sure the fire kept burning continuously. So they were never allowed to let that fire burn out and they made all these sacrifices in there every every day hundreds of times a day depending on again the type of sacrifice there was the daily burnt offering there was the thanksgiving offering the peace offering and so on but yeah they would they would slaughter the animal they would sacrifice it they would take the blood of the animal and place it on or sprinkle it on the horns of the altar one on each corner i don't i don't know if the bible says that they had to use any specific type of wood to keep the fire burning Um, But I but they had to keep it burning continuously all the time Even when they traveled the fire was never allowed to be put out They didn't carry the altar with the fire burning inside of it when they traveled, They would either take the coals outside and carry it in a separate box or Possibly light torches and later use those same torches to relight the fire They were just not allowed to light a new fire and that same fire kept burning all the way through the destruction of the first temple Built by Solomon when the Babylonians destroyed the temple. That's when the fire uh, went out for the first time. So it lasted over 600 years, that, that fire. The uh, copper wash base, uh, made of pure copper, and it was the only item that God did not give any instructions for its dimensions. So the Bible doesn't list any measurements, not the shape or size or weight. We don't know if it was wider or taller, maybe a square. We don't know. But we know that it was made of pure copper and made from the mirrors of the women, women that donated their mirrors polished copper to make the wash base. So it's very likely that the priests saw their own reflection when they looked in the wash-base. They didn't wash their hands like like this, like we would today in a sink, because then it would have filled up with blood and dirt. Instead, they would scoop the water outside and would wash their hands and their feet outside of the wash-base. They had to do that before making any sacrifice or before going into the tent for any reason. So there were many changes made between the tabernacle and the temple, and even between the first and second temples, lots of changes. It was completely rebuilt. But the overall layout stayed the same. The overall layout of the courtyard, the holy, the holy of holies, the altar, the wash space, and the items inside the tabernacle, which later became the temple.
3: Okay, so here's a question. 1984, how old were you?
1: Old enough to remember. One year. <laughs> oh, okay.
3: I've, I've got to say, in 1984, yeah. I lived in New Jersey. I know you guys grew up in the East, too. Mm. And I remember in Princeton, New Jersey, it was a year of Olympics and Los Angeles. They mm. had the Olympics. And I saw the torch running through the streets of New Jersey. Wow. I saw that, and I thought it was so fascinating. It came all the way from Greece. Ariel, at the tabernacle, was yeah. just saying that that flame with that in the, in the big basin, right, went for... 600 years, years wow. and it never went out.
0: And what was amazing about it, it was a foreshadowing of the Rock HaKodesh, the fire that appeared on the head of the disciples on the day of Pentecost, Shavuot. And that fire should be continually burning in our hearts because our bodies are the temple now, the tabernacle of the Mishkan.
1: A lot of times in, in church today, we hear songs and messages directed towards reigniting a new fire in us. Yeah. And we kind of look to God and we say, Hey, the, the original fire you gave me, it isn't enough. I need something new when we pass that buck to Him. But the responsibility is on us. How do we keep that fire burning? By tabernacling with Him, by
0: us making the time with him to keep that fire alive, just like the Levites did for 600 years. That's right, and God's going to tabernacle with us one day for a literal 1,000 years. But right now the veil between us and the Holy of Holies has been written too. There's nothing keeping us from going out. God always meant for his tabernacle to be on the move. And for us to try to get unbelievers into the church is opposite to what Jesus intended when he said it was finished. But, guys, now we're going to go back to Israel to Jeff to hear more about this tabernacle story. The Western Wall, or Kotel, is recognized as one of the most revered sites in all the Holy Land. It's one of the last remaining walls of the Temple Mount, supporting an elevated plaza above that served as the site of Solomon's Temple and Herod's Temple. Further south, beyond the area now revered by worshipers, There's a sad testament of the Roman destruction in 70 AD of the second temple, Herod's temple. Dr. Seif continues now from the ruins of that temple with a look at Jeremiah's prophetic reference to destruction and restoration.
4: When I look at the prophet Jeremiah, who gave voice to a great destruction, Uh, when I look at Jeremiah text, which is what I want to do here, uh, there's what I refer to as a destructive and constructive edge to his prophecies. The Lord says, look, I've appointed you uh, as a prophet uh, to uproot, to tear down, to destroy, to overthrow, to build and to plant. Now, he, t- he had some harsh words, words that spoke to, for, and about the stone's roundabout. That is, the, the destruction of the capital city in his day. He saw it coming. He saw it looming over the horizon, but he didn't just see that. He saw also building livnot in Hebrew, and he also saw planting valin toah. He sees uh, a new world dawning against the backdrop of troubled times. Uh, this is noted as well beautifully later in the Jeremiah text, and I want to uh, 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 light upon a text here: ki liolam chasto. It's noted in Jeremiah, but it's all over the Psalms. Uh, his love endures forever. So the God who, who uh, brings about judgment also brings about restoration, because that's what's in his heart. Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple was felled. Jeremiah said in the seventh chapter, don't be deceived by these deceptive words, this is the temple of the Lord, this is the temple of the Lord, because as Ezekiel had predicted elsewhere, the Lord was going to leave the house, but he's returning, he's returning. So you have that departure and the returning noted in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, and we have the returning noted today which is why I'm I'm, I'm sitting amidst a pile of rocks that speak of devastations of yesteryear, but round about me are throngs of thousands. There's a celebratory spirit here. Why is that? Because we're in the midst of a returning. Uh, It's happening today, and with the return of people to the nation state, there's the return of the temple, uh, an interest in resurrecting uh, religious life per the Older Testament that speaks of sacrifice. Well, here, to, to hear Jeremiah as he speaks with enthusiasm, yet again, he says in 3310, uh, in this place, which you were saying is a waste, <laughs> and so it is, you're looking at waste. He says, uh, in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, the desolate, without man, without inhabitant, without beast, there will be heard the voice of joy and the voice of gladness. Now, by the way, a lot of times when you make TV, you want quiet. And, but we're not filtering out any noise. Actually, it gets a whole lot noisier as you make your way around, and it's all celebratory. Uh, it says it as much in the literature here. He says, we're, we're surrounded by waste, but the, but the voice will return. There'll be heard the voice of joy, simcha, the voice of gladness, the voice of the bride and groom who say, give thanks to Adonai give thanks to the Lord of hosts. For Adonai is good, for the Lord is good. And then, Ki Leolam chasto, his mercy endures forever.
2: The joy and exuberance over the holy city is especially evident in an event held annually during the Feast of Tabernacles, when thousands from around the world march through the streets showing their respect and support for the city of the great king. David Parsons is vice president of the International Christian Embassy Jerusalem. The organization that sponsors the event. We asked him why he thought Jerusalem and the Temple Mount was so important in the Lord's sovereign plan.
6: The uh, temple area, the, the mountain, uh, is called the Mountain of the Lord in, in the Bible, Zion. Uh, it played such an incredible role in the history of this city and of and biblical faith, the biblical history. It's quite clear when Solomon builds it and dedicates it. He says, God, you didn't choose any city in all the land for this purpose, but you chose my father David because of what was already in his heart. I think it's a lesson for all of us who love and follow God. What's in your heart to do for him? David's heart was to build the house of the Lord here in this city and Solomon was able to uh, carry out that work and from that moment Jerusalem gained this universal uh, significance. Uh, the fame of it went everywhere to where even today like uh, you have the royal family in Britain getting married they, they sing a hymn the peak of the marriage service is, is the hymn O Jerusalem and it's, uh, it's a bit of a replacement theology. Let London and this fair land become like Jerusalem and Zion and such. but you wouldn't be singing these things if God hadn't already made this city such a center for worship, and it was called to be this house of prayer for all peoples, according to Isaiah. Jesus affirmed this as Christians. There's no city like it. It's the only city in the Bible that uh, is called holy. Holy meaning it's set aside for a a particular purpose where God's, it's like the stage where God's love for all men is played out here. Now it shall come to pass in the latter
1: days, that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains, and shall be exalted above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem former Knesset member, Yehuda Glick.
7: Many times people, people speak about Christian Zionists. And there they're referring to Christians who support the return of, of Jews to Israel. And that's something very blessed and very important. And we, are very, uh, we don't take that for granted and we appreciate it very much. But now I think we're time for the next step. We're, ne- we're time for Zionism next generation. And what do I mean by this? You know, there's tourism. Tourism talks about tourists. There's journalism. Journalism talks about journalists. So Zionism has to talk about Zion. When we talk about Zion in the Bible, the Bible says that Zion is the name of the holy mountain of God. Psalm 2, Joel, Zion, my holy mountain. Jerusalem is called the city of Zion. It's a city where Zion is. What does Zion mean? In Hebrew, the verb, L'tzayen, to point, the noun is... Zion Zion. this is the place that God pointed and said this is the place that I mark as the place where my divine name my divine presence rests here and the call is not for Jews to go there the call is for all nations to go there because when God promises to Abraham he's gonna bless him and he's gonna make his name so great and he's gonna bless those who bless him he says there's a purpose I want you to serve as a source of blessing for all nations what does it mean to serve as a source of blessing to all nations? We are to teach all nations to raise the banner of Hashem, God Almighty, on the place that He chose. House of prayer for all nations from Zion goes out Torah and the Word of God from Jerusalem.
0: The Jews were always called to be a light unto the Gentiles, but how often do you seriously see a Jewish person on the street corner with a sign, the end is near? It doesn't happen. But that's where the confusion lies with even Christians and Jews concerning the coming temple. There's many temples to come. I got the opportunity to sit down with Mark Hitchcock and he's gonna unravel all the mysteries behind the many temples in history and the ones to come. Thanks for being with us, Mark. Um, It's interesting, you look back all the way from Eden, God's desire was always to tabernacle with man. Uh, When he came in the form of Yeshua, he was called Emmanuel, God with us and through the tabernacle and the temples, God is always trying to reach out, get that face-to-face communication back with mankind. What do you see in the future? What does God do to try to restore that relationship with man in prophecy? Well, you know,
8: there, it really when you look at the Bible, there's seven temples. I like to call hmm. them kind of the seven temples of history and prophecy. There were two temples in the Old Testament. We had the, the Solomon's temple that was destroyed by the Babylonians in 586, mm-hmm. then Herod's temple. It was yeah. started by Zerubbabel and others, but Herod finally embellished that temple. Fascinating fact, you know, it was finally finished in 64 A.D., all the <laughs> embellishments, and it was destroyed yeah, six years 70, later yeah. in boom, 70 boom, A.D. So uh, after that, you know, during this church age, God has three temples. So there's three present temples. Mm. Uh, the individual believer's body That's is a right. temple. You know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians you know, six 19, don't you know that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit? But also the local church, each mm-hmm. local church is called the Temple of the Spirit in First Corinthians 3. But then the whole church, the whole body of Christ on earth in, in Ephesians 2 at That's the right. end of the chapter, the whole church is indwelled by the Holy Spirit at any given time. Mm-hmm. So... You have two past temples, these literal temples on earth, and three present temples, but there's two future temples. Yes. There's going to be what we often call the tribulation temple or the, the Antichrist temple. Mm-hmm. It's going to be built during the tribulation period and going to be on earth during that period of time. And we, you know, we, we know that's going to be built because like in 2 Thessalonians 2, 4, it says the Antichrist is going mm-hmm. to sit in the temple of God and declare that He is God. So there'll be a temple present on the earth during that time, the third temple. But then when Jesus returns back to earth, He comes back to rule and reign, and the earth goes through an incredible restoration. There's going to be a fourth Jewish temple. We often call that the millennial temple that's described in a lot of places, but really most in detail in Ezekiel 40 to 48 in those chapters. So you know, we've got two past temples, three present temples, and then those two future temples. And Messiah is going to ultimately come and dwell in that millennial temple and rule and reign there for a thousand years. Amen.
0: Thank you, Mark. Mark just gave a fascinating explanation regarding all the temples throughout history, even the future temples. And if you want to learn more about prophecy, we're giving you this book, The End, written by Mark Hitchcock. To those who give a donation, a blessing to us, we want to bless you in return. We even have these bookmarks. Josh and I wrote down scriptures that will be an encouragement to you, all gift of love.
3: It is a gift of love, but I want I want you to know it costs this ministry a lot of money, shipping, and to buy these books. We I would like to throw the word out, generous, if you don't mind, a generous donation for the book, but also a donation to keep this ministry, this television program, going around the world. We are a prophetic voice going out. Please make sure that this voice does not go out. Guys, you have brought so much to this program, just alone. Thank you.
0: Oh, you're welcome. I I keep on going back to what Yehuda Glick said, that scripture, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. They're expecting that to be the next temple, but in all honesty, as Mark said, that next temple is the tribulation temple. And while the Jews are worshiping God there, there's going to be a revived Babylonianism worship for the world. The beast is going to be leading that. There's going to be apostasy and terrible things going on. It's not until Yeshua comes that that fourth temple, uh, that is prophesied in Isaiah will, will come to pass.
1: With everything we talk about in prophecy, these, these moments, it can be dangerous for us to look at history and look at the Bible through the lens of how it applies to us. Dr. Seif mentioned that. We need to ask the Father, how does your word apply to you and to your plan? He has placed you here for such a time as this, but that timing that He has for you is for His purpose and His plan, and He wants to tabernacle, tabernacle with you. So, put your focus on the Father and allow Him
2: to guide your understanding of His Word based on His premises and not your own. So much content in this program today, but I want to go back real quick to the beginning of you guys sharing about that flame that needs to stay alive forever. I want that in my life and in my worship, and that's how we live. And it's a free gift. Yeshua said, all
0: you have to do is ask that you may receive, just as we asked for salvation like a little child, we can ask and receive from Him that power, that authority to cast out devils, heal the sick, and do many wonders in His name. It's all at your fingertips. It's all your authority through Yeshua. It's time to go, guys. It's been good today. Mm -hmm. We end with this. It always seems like it goes so fast. (laughs)
1: But as we always say, Sha'alu Shalom Yerushalayim.
3: Pray for the peace of Jerusalem.
2: Our resource this week, The End, written by Mark Hitchcock. This 500-page hardcover book is made available to you for your generous donation to Zola Levitt Ministries. The accompanying bookmark by Joshua and Caleb provides important scripture from God's Word concerning the end. Please remember, we depend on your generous gifts, which allow us to bring timely updates regarding Bible prophecy and the end of days. Thank you so much for your continuous support of this ministry. Join us right now on our social media sites for exclusive content. Visit our website levit.com for tour information, broadcast schedule, free monthly newsletter, and online store. Call us anytime at 1-800-WONDERS and ask about this week's resource. Our Jewish Roots is a presentation of Zola Levit Ministries. Partner with us. As a 100% viewer-funded ministry, your gifts allow us to bring you our weekly television series, social media outlets, website, and other ministry endeavors. Please remember, we depend on tax-deductible donations from viewers like you.